Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Now, one of Ian's big themes is that you and I have two pillars of mental health. One, social connection. The other, autonomy. So social connection, we need to be connected to people socially, belong to groups, talk to people to have good mental health. We also need some degree of autonomy, that is the ability to make our own decisions and feel a sense of control over our life. Sounds good. But what about being in a significant relationship? Inevitably, that undermines your autonomy. It just does. When you're single, you do what you want when you want. You eat the food you like. You go out when you want. You do the washing up when you want or don't. If you want to live alone, your home is as tidy as you want it to be and no more tidier than that. But then if you get in a relationship, social connection, suddenly everything is a compromise, less autonomy. I like to eat at 6.30. Oh, well, I like to eat at 7.30. I like steak. Oh, I like fish. Let's go out. Let's not. Let's have an extremely tidy home. How about let's not? And it's not just partner relationships. Anyone noticed how having kids seriously undermines your autonomy? Anyone notice that when you go away with friends on holiday, there's always a degree, isn't there, of frustration because there's less autonomy. Let's let's go to the beach at 11. Hey, it's 11.15. I'm the only one ready, that sort of thing. So if it is the case that Ian's two pillars of mental health, autonomy and social connection, are in conflict, if there is tension between them, what do we do about it? And I can't believe it took me over 100 eps of our podcast to see this conflict that your two pillars of mental health are fighting each other. Are they? Are they? A bit? A bit. Yes, I have to concede they are sometimes in conflict. Yes. Mainly over the, what you just described, the small stuff. But the small stuff can be very frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yes. In everyday life. Most frustrating. Everyday life, I find I can agree with myself quite a lot and I can organise myself quite well <laughs> to proceed. Yes. If only I was living my entire life on my own. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm not very happy. See, hence I emphasise the social connector. I generally find I'm happier when I'm part of a functioning social group. Yeah. But social group decision-making has all these conflicting autonomies or conflicting points of view. Rarely, particularly in our modern world, can one person issue the orders. And everyone else just complies. Yes. So autonomy and a degree of individualism in our world, sometimes in our social world now, everyone feels that they must express their own view. They can't simply go along with the 11 o'clock departure time. Well, I'd prefer 11.06. Yes. And in order that you recognize me as an individual, I'd like to be at 11.05 and a half. And in fact, uh, could we put it off till tomorrow? So we're also, I'd suggest these days, far less likely to take direction. A lot of social groups have hierarchies. These days? You mean like In the modern than, world. The modern world. Because there's more decisions to make. No, or because we don't of life. Like, it, no, I think it's a change in social structure. Meaning, we don't like hierarchies. We don't like one person deciding for the group. There's a hell of a lot of them around. We have a prime minister, don't we? And then under the prime minister are lots of ministers. And, and what do we say about him, her, every day? They. Yeah, true. But I mean, in every organisation, there are hierarchies, including families, actually. Well, there are hierarchies. I'd suggest that historically, those hierarchies were more powerful. People were expected to comply. The leader decided. More vertical. More vertical. 
very vertical. Yeah. Well, there you is know, that, that trend towards devolving power. Yeah. So our modern world, exactly. In our modern world, power is devolved and it's challenged. And everyone within the social group has an identity and we encourage them to express it. In families, we encourage children to have their own point of view. In social groups, we expect everybody from the factory floor to the you know big boss to have a view, to consult and to interact yeah. in ways. So I think we've moved away from one way social groups used to function with very strong hierarchies, follow the leader, <laughs> wherever, over the cliff, wherever they went into battle. And then, of course, in some things like the armed forces that kind of just follow the orders is seen to be essential for the functioning of the social group. Because you don't have what you described. You don't have conflict. Shall we go to war today? I don't think so. <laughs> Shall we, you know. <laughs> Me, you know, my wife, Lucy. Yes. I'll she's very nice. nice. She's a really nice person. Yeah. She and I are going to have an argument on Monday <gasps> because she's been in Melbourne for two weeks and she gets back on Sunday. And on Sunday, we'll all be happy. Everyone will be happy to see each other and da, da, da. And this always happens. On Monday, I'll realize that I've been running the house with our three daughters in it. And how efficiently. Pretty efficiently, doing things a little bit differently from her, uh, and she'll want to reassert her kind of central carer figure, and we will have a conflict. I and can James say that first, with complete certainty. I can see this. James the first is going to be dethroned Sunday <laughs> night. Yeah, I love running my own household on my own. I quite like it when Elizabeth goes away, and I've done it with the kids lots. Yeah, completely different order comes in. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Dad's order. But do you and Elizabeth have a little argument or a bit of tension when she returns? Or do you just give I up? I just to get dethroned. I just gone. Right. <laughs> no. Well, it's a very interesting point because I have a discussion with parents and stuff all the time. One parent is really easy. Yeah. Because the, the parent's the parent. Yeah. Right. You can overrule the kids, and you can set up your exactly. own order. And of course, you can make it attractive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, a bit of beer and skittles. I've always made it attractive when Elizabeth's away. There's takeaway food. There's a lot of TV. There's a lot of stuff Sounds going like on. The same person. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So that issue of. Of course, and that's my preferred on my own way of running the world. Yeah. And in the social group, I'm in, family and everything else. So you're having more autonomy, less social connection, basically. You've, you've pushed the dial. Elizabeth is away, no social connection with your partner, but more autonomy. And within a hierarchy, it's still a social group. You're, you're running a household with kids and other stuff when Lucy's away, yeah. but you're a boss. Yeah. Yeah, the hierarchy. So a lot of social groups and are And actually, functioning. talking about that, they – talking about social connection – they actually talk to me more because Lucy's not around. So we're not sharing the social connection with the kids. All the parent-kid social interaction is through me. So probably when I say there's less social connection, more autonomy, there's almost the same amount of social connection just from different people. But it's different and it's structures between different groups within that social yes. thing, the family. Do you remember the episode we did about leadership? Yes. And we had a bit of an argument, not that we ever argued. <laughs> about the ideal leader. And I was talking about leadership groups and you were saying, oh, much better to have an individual who can make up their mind, make a decision, and then we can all move on. Yes. Rather than going round and round. And I was trying to argue for the kind of collective decision making. Yeah. So you spent half your life in meetings. See, if only the podcast came with visuals, you needed to see the look on James's face right there. Oh, God. I hate meetings. He hates meetings. (laughs) He hates collective leadership. He likes the boss. He likes the British Admiral point of view. There's one Admiral, there's one Navy. (laughs) Well, it's, always, it's me, obviously. <laughs> well, it is simpler. Its communication is simpler. Its social processes are simpler. Some people would say for people in the hierarchy, it, it's simpler. They don't have to think for themselves. They don't have to actually take a point of view. 
Uh, the overworld and, and others would say it's very efficient. And some would say, for example, in the military has been said forever, if we don't do that, people get killed. We can't sit around and decide on a collective approach to what's next. Well, it's one not captain. just the military. Almost every organisation has a boss, a CEO, a general manager. It's not, okay, you five CEOs work it out. There's one. Okay. So my point is about social groups. When I'm arguing the collectivist thing, yeah. I am also saying most of those social groups have hierarchies. Of decision making, yeah, built in, yeah. Okay. Now the tension arises. The really big tension is the one you well too. I think we've had a democratization of that, a devolving away from the central leader to respect identities, to respect points of views. So our world's moved to a more devolved model. So you're quite right to point out the tension. <laughs> yes, the my idealistic view of the world that we have these two things and we can all work it out has got a bit tricky yeah. because personal autonomy and personal identity tied to that, now we have a, has a much greater weighting. So, and my objection is a bit the other way, that the socialization of that, the willingness to go along with others, the willingness to go, right, like, do I really care whether we live at 11 o'clock or 11.05 yeah. or 11.15? Do I really care that our family unit could function in a particular way? Because I value the relationship more. I'm quite happy yeah. to concede, give in, Compromise because the relationship's more important. So, so is it valid to look at it, look at it like a dial, with the person you just described at one end? I want a, social connection is very important to me. I want to work in a group. I want to live in a group, and as a result of that, I'm happy if I have less autonomy. Go along with the group. Keep the group happy. At the other end of the dial. I, I, I want complete autonomy over my life. I'm going to live alone. I'm going to work alone and I'm going to make all my decisions. And the challenge for all of us is to work out where on that scale, lots of social connection, not much autonomy versus lots of autonomy, less social connection, where on that scale we are, we fit in and where we will feel best and have our best mental health. And it's the last bit that matters. Where we will feel yeah. we have our best. Yes. So the best mental health lies somewhere in the middle. If you're way up one end or way up the other, generally speaking. But not everyone. Okay. You love the exception. <laughs> <laughs> I have said on many occasions. It's a bell curve, right? On many occasions, there are some people, about 5% of people, who are happy to live totally on their own. And there are some people, which we haven't really discussed, people who are quite happy to live right up the other end. We just, we've discussed in some other episodes and those who want to join a convent, those who want to join an army, those who want to give up all decision-making, just put on the team uniform. You, know, yeah. you see those classic totalitarian states where people are all wearing the same army uniform, doing some weird march up the middle of the street and they all look the same. They lost their own identity completely. Yeah. So they have just given away all autonomy to the central power and all identity to the central They're all dressed the same. Professional the same. sports people. At times. Buses leaving at 7.45. Yes, sir. Be in the foyer at 745. Yes, sir. Don't have to think about it. Training at 330. It's all done for me. Do so, 18 push-ups. Yes, sir. For most of us, to find ourselves in one of those situations or the other would be associated with bad mental health. So the tension is there's good mental health to be had in the middle, but there's a tension. I think – so if you think of someone you know really well, so I'm thinking my wife, Lucy – I'm slightly more up the autonomy side. She's slightly more on the social connection side. We're both more or less in the middle. We're not at either end, but it's very clear to me that I'm further towards one end and, and she's further towards the other end. 
Yes, I love the way you just did that with your hand as well. We're going to see that dial. Yeah, it's how dial. far, James. I'm visualizing how a dial. How far, James? Would you so, push that? so I think if you're listening to this, you should think: Is this a good place to start? Think where you might be on the dial, and maybe the easiest way to do it is just just to think about someone you re- know really well, and think where you are in comparison with them, right? Absolutely. So some people are more collectivist by nature. Some cultures, our own Aboriginal culture, uh, culture and many First Nation cultures, are more yes. collectivist by nature. You know, within that culture. There's better mental health, there's better group mental health to be more collectivist. It doesn't mean those cultures do not have strong sense of personal autonomy that everyone just does everything for the group. Yeah. What a Western culture, I'd suggest, has moved more to the personal autonomy, personal identity end of things. Yeah. And that's created problems. The great United States. <laughs> you know, the individual, they've taken autonomy further to very right. fierce individualism, very fierce notions of my right to choose being more important than what's in the collective good. But I just wonder, do you think, like I've never really thought about this much before, and I wonder if some people are just feeling a little bit unsettled or just like things could be better, but I'm not sure why or how, to actually think about where they are on this and think, well, actually I do value autonomy more than social connection or vice versa. But I'm in situations where where my life doesn't reflect that. That could create tension, right? Real tension. Unhappiness. As my darling Elizabeth said to me this week, Ian, could you be a little less alienating and a bit more engaging? <laughs> meaning, wow. meaning, could you stop expressing your particular view about how the world should be and try and incorporate more of others? That's in order direct. That she did like she didn't it. say do you think sometimes you can be a little bit alienating? Could you please be a little bit alien? Is that a direct quote? That is a you direct quote. Be, is, she borrowed the phrasing from an American yeah. American colleague. <laughs> now, I like what I love. What I love about living with a psychiatrist is, as people would know, normally I'd say what a psychiatrist says is, "Can you tell me some more about that?" But actually, in exchanges between psychiatrists, sometimes we cut out the middlemen. Yes, and let me just, tell you. Let more me just about tell that. you about you and where things need to be. Pointing out. Pointing out an important thing, even though my intellectual position may be correct on something or preferred, let's say she agrees with the preferred bit, it ain't going to work. It isn't going to happen unless more people are in the boat. Right. It's not going to happen unless more people. And to do that, there has to be room for those people's perspectives to be there. In other words, I need to find a way of compromising more. Yeah, yeah. So this may surprise you, James. But you and I probably have some things in common. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so even though we come from, I come from a very large family collectivist background, I do value personal autonomy very highly. Yes. In fact, almost for the opposite reason. If you're lost in a big family, you want to say, but I'm me. <laughs> I'm not just the collective. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I have pictures where, you know, with my brothers and sisters, you can look at us all as children, and sometimes we go, which one's me? <laughs> you know, which one was you? Which one was me? Our parents got mixed up. Which one are you? Sometimes you want to go, I'm me. <laughs> so actually, out of all of that, i got a strong sense of, I actually have my own point of view, yeah. <laughs> which I'd like to be recognised, and I have strong views about what I think would be best to happen. But they run into conflict with other views. But to achieve many things, there's a need often for collective action. So yeah. there's, re- there's real tension, and, and both you and I tend to lie up the, we really like autonomy. I hate people telling me what to do. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can clearly see the problems that can arise in a relationship when a person is unwilling to see too much autonomy and the classic way of, you know, too controlling. 
You know, they want to know where I am all the time. They want to control everything. But I wonder if there's also a problem. People who are really nice and give up their autonomy perhaps too easily when they're in a relationship. Sure, let's do that. Sure, let's do that. I want you to be happy and that means the relationship is working. If you are unwilling or or, or, or feel tentative in expressing your own autonomy in a relationship, can that also have a negative influence on your mental health? You bet. Yeah. So a lot of work that I did when I was much younger around marital therapy in relation to depression and, and many women in that particular situation with a person coming forward. And they had a tendency to do exactly that. Yeah. Give in to whatever was the dominant idea in the relationship, not express their own ideas, be frustrated and be miserable. Yeah. Now, I raise that because the really interesting thing about that is many of those women, for one reason or another, the relationship ended. And when they were out of the relationship, guess what? Their depression got much better. Yeah. So it was having the non-expression of their own idea, to keep it all together, trying to fit in, was having very negative impacts on their mental health. Yeah. And it was not being expressed. So just giving in in the relationship all the time to keep the relationship going had a very high cost. Yeah. So yeah, unlike you and me, there are other people who will put aside constantly their own needs, their own wishes, probably what they need to do for themselves in favour of keeping the group together, keeping the relationship together, keeping the family together. You know, trying to you know being being the good souls, the UN peacekeepers who just go in at very high cost to themselves. And of course, a very good example of that is parents with children. You don't want to drive your kid to netball on a Saturday morning. You don't want to pick them up from something at seven o'clock at night. You just, you're happy where you are, but you go and do it. You sit in your car for 25 minutes to take them there. Then you go and pick them up again. And you don't even think twice about it. You give up your autonomy for your kids. Is there, does some parents, I wonder, resent ceding their autonomy to their children, you know, resent almost all the obligations that come with kids and what do they do about it? It's too late. Can't give them back. Can't give the kids back. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one way you just raise, which I must hear it, hear it every weekend. What yeah. Did you, what did you spend Saturday doing? Oh, I spent Driving I mean, eight hours I drove to here. and drove, I mean, hang on. Did you consider any other alternatives or did you just do it? Because oh. then you hear parents go, hang I on I always second. consider the alternative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of us are always looking for a way out <laughs> Have you ever thought about a train, a bus? Yeah. I go, I go to a long ramp. Carpool. Now, carpooling yeah. is the obvious one. Okay, I'll do it one weekend in four, but I'll yeah. agree with four other parents, three other parents to do the, you know, we'll pool yeah. if that's what has to be. Or we'll look at other options. So I think sometimes people do fall into just doing things through obligation, through the relationship, and just get frustrated with it, just get annoyed with it. So I guess, so listen, if it's pissing you off, try and think of some other options. Options. Rather than so just- another great thing about this podcast is options. Yeah. Don't get into a black and white binary situation, either I drive them or I don't drive yeah. them or, you know, because in a sense, the worst thing is to drive them and be angry with them all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it's the right. worst outcome. That's the thing from not to be there, yeah. but one in four, be there and go, okay, it's my one in four weekend. It's my, you know, turn. It's a good thing. I'm happy to do it. So I think about these in relationships because you hit on a really important point, I think, James, which is frustration within relationships is often over small things. You see this in marital relationships, in parent-kid relationships. It's often these small things that cause yes. a huge amount of drama. Because there, there might be small things, but like raindrops, there's a hell of a lot of them. 
So people talk, of them. people talk about this around domestic tasks. They talk about things yeah. that need to be done every day, small things. I'm always going, as you know, some people may know, I'm a marvellous person for outsourcing, if you can, <laughs> or pooling, which is a car pooling. You know, there's a lot of stuff a lot of us don't really want to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But what are the options? I mean, the thing still needs to get done. Yeah. What are the options? What are the ways that we can approach that? What, what things are open to us? I'd say there's a lot about a lot of caring functions. You just mentioned carpooling, but more importantly, there's a lot of caring functions, caring for kids, caring for parents, caring for someone who's sick. And a lot of people just fall into just doing it. It's really stressful. It's really yeah. difficult. They just feel obliged and they don't feel there's any option. So you see a lot of men who are separated, right? Or you have done over the last 30 years. And ha- ha- I mean, ha- do some people separate because, you know, like in, in relationships, oh, we were just incompatible too much, you know. The the I wanted more autonomy. The social connection wasn't wasn't working. So you know you can see separations in terms of that duality between social connection and autonomy. But do some people leave their families because you know the kids interfered too much with the autonomy? Would, would people actually say that? They say, yeah, look, I tried the whole family thing. Just gave me the, just pissed me off. <laughs> Like, I, I don't think that. I don't know people who do, but maybe there are. Okay, let's go in cone of silence here. Yeah. Okay, we won't, won't name names or. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have been with many dads and others where that loss of autonomy is too much. Too much. Can't wow. do it. And I once heard a dad <laughs> at a great wedding say it in public. You're right. Dad's got a party. <laughs> just got to go. Just can't. Yeah. We cannot give up my whole identity, yes. my whole life to fit into, and particularly there's a phase of family life, you know, with small children and everything else where everything is lost. The relationship is lost. Yes, the whole focus true. is the little kids. So you look at these uh, lifetime surveys, the most difficult time for couples is that period where they have young children, where everything becomes about the kids and the, the parents' needs are lost. I have a lot of discussions with parents in that situation. Have you left the kids with someone? Have you taken a holiday? Have you gone somewhere? Do you go out? Not only really sort of just the date night type way, but really, no, seriously, leave the kids. Or are you there for five to ten, meaning five to ten years, doing nothing except being focused on the kids? It won't survive. Yeah, right. And, and I think they are periods often where relationships fall apart, families fall apart, great deal of frustration happens because everyone, <laughs> parents, has given up all autonomy <laughs> yeah. to the collective thing of childcare. Yeah. And a very noble thing that is. But it's put the dial, going back to your dial, it's put the dial way out one end. Yeah. And so so you've got to look out for the early signs of that and then, yeah. again, look at options, do some options. compromising. So I have a discussion all the time, you know, have you thought about holiday, going overseas? Now, I've got to share another secret. Don't repeat this one, okay? Uh, well, you, are, you know, uh, there's a public There's, a, list, there's anyway. a listener. There's yeah. a listener. <laughs> Elizabeth and I used to have this great scheme yeah. when our kids were young. We tell them we were going interstate to a conference. Right. We live in Sydney. You know where we went? Where'd you go? Hotel in Sydney. Oh, just for, for like, like a night or two? Night. One night, two nights. Wow. Was it good? Fabulous. <laughs> I hate tourists in your own city. Don't have to go to the airport. Yeah. Don't have to check in. And get like a arrange, babysitter. And arrange, the child care. arrange the childcare. Arrange the childcare. Lucky to have childcare and have access to that and, and have other, you know, yeah. friends, relatives, et cetera. Tell the kids, mum and dad, right, got to go to conference. Got very important work. Very important work in Melbourne, Brisbane, whatever. Two of your kids listen to this podcast, right? They're grown up now. They, I think they, they might. Know. I think they might realise <laughs> that we didn't always share the entire truth. <laughs> well, they will now. At an age where, okay, mum and dad do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both professional people sounds reasonable. It wasn't about that at all. It's about the relationship. Yeah. About maintaining at the minimum cost and the minimum drama, 
maximum time, no airports, no flying, yeah. <laughs> you know, disappear into that other adult life. So, so let me ask you this about autonomy. Mm. Did you ever feel like doing that but just you, <laughs> like doing it alone? Nice thing about my life and Elizabeth's life and others is we also have separate professional lives. Do I feel guilty about finding myself walking around London or Paris or Regent's right. Park on my own feeling fabulous? Yeah. Bad idea, and I've done this a few times, to ring up from one of those places saying how good I'm feeling. <laughs> that wasn't such a smart idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not enjoying it, recognizing, recognizing that I really do like it. I mean, people go, oh, it must be terrible traveling on your own. I go, oh, look, I'd prefer to travel with Elizabeth. I'd prefer to do things. But when I am traveling on my own, I quite enjoy the autonomy of it. Yeah. Yeah. I go to the coffee shop I want to go to, I eat what I want to, I do – and I go, okay, you know, for a short period of my life, this degree of autonomy, it's fabulous. You know, we recorded this podcast three days ago on a Tuesday. Mm. When we finished, I drove my car about two minutes to the start of a bushy national park and walked all the way down through it to Northbridge in Sydney. Yeah, beautiful. Through the bush, round the water for three hours. And it's not that long, is it? But I was totally alone and felt it was great. It was like going on a holiday for three hours. A holiday. Yeah. So taking time out of social relationships, a really interesting piece I was reading. Uh, but it was up to me when I stopped, when I ate my sandwich, et cetera. No compromise. I'm afraid the two of us do. We are a bit up that end of the dial where we yeah. like the autonomy. Bit. Yeah. I was reading a really interesting article this week about creativity or you know creative thought or I am well aware that for certain things I've got to do. I've got to disappear into my own head. Yeah, right. And I've got to be separated from a particular and, – and at times, like walking is a really good example of that. I've got to go not <laughs> – this may surprise people who know me – not speak. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Disappear into my own thoughts that aren't focused on just responding to this, that, whatever the next social cue is, whatever the next work-related incident is, and think about something to get to the point that I understand what it is I need to. And that requires time on my own got to make that sort of time. Otherwise, I can't do – I personally can't do that function. Which comes back to getting the right balance in your own life between social connection, which is so good for us in so many ways, and autonomy, where it's just you making the decisions. And you don't necessarily have to be alone to have complete autonomy, but it damn well helps. Now, I want to uh, kind of segue. Segway. We were going to do this as a separate episode, but I, I think it's so – I think it's very related. Is one way to look at it this. We want to form social bonds. We do that by being nice to each other, being friendly, create a nice work environment, enjoy chatting to each other. That's good for our, our mental health, social connection. But ever since humans were humans, to survive, we need to compete for scarce resources and scarce opportunities. We have to hunt that buffalo before the other tribe gets it. I have to compete with everyone else at work to get that promotion. I have to be better than them. I have to beat them. There's only one promotion and there's five of us. So we're in competition. Nice guys finish last. Do these two basic instincts to form bonds on one hand and to compete on the other play out in our life? And they are, are they also something that we need to learn how to balance? So, get a retreat slightly to an evolutionary perspective here. Good. Are you a team sport guy or an individual sport guy? For humans to survive, they had to be good at team sports. That uh, killing yeah, the buffalo, that killing that buffalo, taking care of each other. The team had to have different sets of characteristics. It had to be able to, but it had to be able to compete as a team. Yeah. 
So the social thing had to work because the real competition was not internally. It was with the world. Yeah. It was with the external world, other tribes, other animals, you know. So humans, I think, and I personally love team sports and seeing how teams function or they don't function. Star team versus the team of stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star team wins yeah. all the time. Yeah. So humans, I'd suggest, have that as a higher order variable. Can you be a great team? Yep. In our world, you're not reliant on the team anymore because it's so all those things are so dispersed across the wider society. You can be more the individual player yeah. and just take resources from everywhere and not be responsible. So I think individual competitiveness in our modern world you know, is now uh, possible. It's possible yeah, and definitely. more highly prized. So you bet. Individual desire, individual ambition, individual competitiveness is now much more highly valued. Yeah, but it's in competition, isn't it? Like if you think of being, Absolutely. being in an office or a, a, a building site or any sort of workplace, on one hand, you want to be nice to everyone. On the other hand, you want to show the boss you're better than them. So the, those two instincts survive – compete and form social bonds can be in competition. So I was in a, as is commonly the case, I was in a, um, let's say, a really interesting, let's say, I wouldn't say heated, but energetic discussion with a colleague yesterday about his career. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he was using the I word a lot. Oh, yeah. And I was trying to use the we word. <laughs> like it's kind of a collective kind of thing. Yeah. And he was looking at me like I had three heads. <laughs> You're yeah. not aware in the whole world we're in, including the academic world I'm in. Cuts people off at all sorts of levels. I'm with and you. Unless I pursue my career, I'm going to be out of business, yeah. and you're not helping. And I'm going with the big we. You know, but this is a big collective thing. You know, this is a very uh, competitive world, and unless we support each other, the danger is none of us survive yeah. from resources. And, right. But it's yeah. a real live, and I say that because in, it's a real live tension. It isn't just in business; it's in, it's in all parts of life around career and advancement that we place such a weight on the I factor. Yes. That, that's what we're encouraging people to do. Now, I was putting the counter-argument that this is somewhat self-defeating. You may not actually achieve anything. <laughs> we may just kill each other. That some of the stuff, we've got to get the balance right. So I'd suggest there's still a balance. It's the, yeah, it's a balance. It's, it's the, the team's success. We've got to have the right team, which has many individual characteristics, but collectively we all do well. Or are we competing with each other within the same team? And in which case, we won't succeed. Yeah. We'll, can the individual you look, change clubs or <laughs> go elsewhere, but, you know, what's the, what's the goal? What's the, what's the success that you're trying to achieve? Is it, the end of the day, just your individual career? Is it just an individual survival thing? I mean, in the work you're in, or the, and I'd say this then for the context, the work you're in, the family you're in, whatever you're trying to achieve, is it just about you achieving? Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people, I've been in workplaces where – I've applied for a job and I know the other people who've applied for a job and we've all talked about it and said, well, you know, it's hope I get it, but you might get it. And if you get it, good luck. And we're all still friends and all that. But you're self-employed these days. Yeah. You're in competition with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you choose and then, but you have to go out and market yourself. Yeah. You're driving that. Yeah. If you're in a business, if you've got everyone competing in a business and the business fails, no one has a job. If you're so busy killing each other in the office to get the next bit, and as a consequence, the business fails. Well, although the counter-argument is, you know, I can imagine a a boss thinking, look, if they're all in competition with each other, trying to show me how good they are, that's good for the business because they'll all be endeavouring to prove how productive and clever they are every day. 
So in the classical- Get hi- going. Don't you love it? I love the way you go to these hierarchies. The boss. I've got to meet the boss one day. Well, there are, you're a boss. <laughs> You're the code so, of the brain of Yes, yeah, so does the boss encourage that? Is that the best thing for the boss to do? As I was saying, I was just in an argument myself yesterday. Not an argument. I shouldn't describe it as an argument. It was a friendly, heated discussion with somebody in my organization about exactly that point. I want them to be part of the collective bit. I want the team to succeed. We're all more likely to succeed with the mix of skills. They're not in competition with somebody else within that team. Their contribution is really important, but it's to the collective success. Now, the problem is I'm saying that but actually the context I exist in <laughs> yeah. doesn't do that. It rewards individuals. It gives money. You know, you know. So th- this is the, this tension. This is the tension. This is the tension. It's a real tension in many people's lives a lot of the time. Now, one's the sort of success thing. Like what's the goal? I, I, actually, the goal does matter. Yeah. The goal does matter. Like can you agree about the purpose? When people are engaged in purposeful activities, we've discussed many times, James, their mental health is better. Yes. So is the goal simply – that I'm successful, I'm the best, I'm the most important academic, I'm the most important business, whatever. But is there a collective goal? Like in the world I'm in, there's a group of people, I'm very lucky to work with a group of people at the moment, who's trying to achieve something together. It's a team thing. Yep. And they're well recognised unless we have the right mix of skills. None of us on our own can achieve that thing. So the team has to function. But they've got different individuals. Yeah, well, yeah. Not if you're a tennis player, for example. For example, back to the team. Or a tradie. Most tradies work, work so, for themselves. Some work in umbrella organisations, don't they? You know, uh, well, plumbers. Some up. work for businesses and they're keeping that small business afloat. Some yeah. have more collective. But some are individual of, contractors. Yeah. So, so the context does matter. And different personalities, different people function better. So we're another topic we should return to another time, individual yeah. differences. It's okay to be different. Some people function better as tennis players. They're really suited to yeah. maximising their performance on their own. Others, you know, they're more team players. They're really good team players. If yeah. you've ever been a, co- you've been a coach, have you been a coach? Like, coach? I love talking oh, to coaches. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I have. Coaches. Not of a sport. Who do they select? Do they want their club to go by the best team players or to buy the best individuals? Uh, well, you know, the Sydney Swans famously have, don't they, a no dickheads policy. For example. Yeah. The Brisbane Lions, one of the most successful, we've ever had a fabulous coaching thing about exactly that. It's the team. Yeah. Those who go and buy individual stars and put them into teams nearly always cause chaos. There's competition within. Why does he get so much attention? Why do we always have to kick the ball to him? Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's attention, isn't it? Because rugby league teams, you buy a good player, a really good player, and sometimes- It's a bad fit. Sometimes a bad fit, but sometimes it makes a difference. Okay. So you still got to have skills. Yeah. You can't have a team. You can't have a team of people with no skill or low skill. Yeah. So you've got to have you've got to value the individual skills that people bring, but it has to function as a team yeah. in any team sport. One bloke just running around, you know, with the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't win. You know? yeah. Whereas in tennis or golf or other individual sports, sure. So your earlier point about reflecting on who you are. Yes. Is a really important and the context in which you're doing that thing. What sort of autonomy makes you the happiest? What form of social connection? Where are you on that scale? Where are you on the kind of uh, team player versus individual survival? We're not being moralistic here. No. It's okay. But it's just good to know where you are. Know where you are and do the thing that suits you. 
If you, in a mental health sense, this is the, okay, yeah. the, the judgment I'm making is what's good for your mental health. Yeah. So for some people, they should play golf. They should play tennis. Although tennis is still something that's competition on the other side of the net. Golf, you can play entirely on your own. You don't even have to have anyone on the other side of the net. That's you, right. just, you and yeah. the ball and the club and whatever yeah. you go. If that suits you, go do it. Yeah. If by contrast, whatever you're trying to achieve requires a group of people or you're a team player, you know, value that. Go with it. You know, so I don't think people do reflect enough yeah. on this. They just get themselves into situations. You see individual star players who hate being part of a team. They're in the wrong sport. Yeah. <laughs> now they should have done the individual sports. The reflection on oneself is so important. Yeah. Final anecdote, I've got a friend who runs a lot and I run a bit and he sometimes says, let's go for a run. And we've done it a couple of times. And I hate talking when I'm running. And he seems to ask a lot of questions, which means I have to do more of the talking when I'm trying to run. And he's a slightly faster runner than me, which means he's going easy and I'm really struggling. And at the end of one of our others said, I love, you know, you're a great guy. I love spending time with you, but l- let's not run together anymore. I, I as as a runner, I'm an individual. Questions, comments, want to suggest further topics, please send us an email at mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com. That's numeral two. Uh, the book version, Minding Your Mind, written by Ian and myself, is out. And our podcast is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help is available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them or you can call Lifeline on 13114.